you have your Bible today, I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 9. We'll be in verse 9. We'll also be, or chapter 9, excuse me, we'll also be in the book of Luke. So you'll want to uh, tailor both of those places. Um, but, I, but I'm talking today about what it looks like to be a dutiful disciple. Uh, duty is, it's not a word that we, we love. Um, it's not something that we have, have fallen in love with. We would much prefer to do something out of any other reason than duty, it seems like. Uh, have you ever con- considered that? Have you ever wondered what drives people to do what they do? Uh, years ago, um, back in 2016, a movie came down out about a bunch of people. I had no idea who they were. I'd never heard their story, didn't know anything about them. And this movie was called Hidden Figures. Did y'all see this movie? Back in February, um, the NASA headquarters in D.C. was named after not, not even the primary character of the movie, but after a girl named Mary Jackson, who was one of these uh, computers is what they were, were labeled, the African-American women doing mathematics that helped get people to the moon, helped, helped make sure that we uh, as a country could, could keep people safe who were lifting up. And, and when you think about their story, you kind of wondered, why would they help? If you've, if you've watched the movie, if you know, if you know kind of how uh, African Americans, especially during that season of our country's life, were treated as secondary groups of people, you kind of say, why would you help? What, what's the point? Did you just love that? Were you that loving? I, I, as I watched the movie, I'll tell you what, what came to my mind is there was a sense of duty duty to their families duties to the jobs they had accepted duties to their country in in a world where we hate duty today we would much rather it be other things i thought duty is what drove them to do what they did they had a a priority that they felt compelled to and and here is a group of women that represent a, a much larger group that got no recognition for their duty as long as they were alive. In fact, they only got, got celebrated nationally after they had passed. And it started to make me think about this lady named Tabitha in the Bible. I don't know if you know Tabitha's story. She's only talked about in a small piece of scripture after she has died. We don't know anything about her story up to then except for what's told to us in a few verses after she's died and and at the end of the story you'll you'll hear today that the lord brought her back to life and guess what the moment she comes back to life do you know what the bible talks about tabitha from there on out nothing no credit no praise no glory no we're sorry for not appreciating you it's an interesting thing, this idea of duty, isn't it? I, I looked up the definition of the word, and it's got a lot of definition, but listen to some of these words. Something that one is expected. Ah, oh, expected. The binding or obligatory force. Obligatory. That's, is that a four-letter word today? A task or action that is required. By a person's position or occupation. A task or chore. 
that's a bad that's a bad word isn't it i mean when we when we read those parts of the word duty it i don't i i want to do something out of some other reason I don't want to do something because it's a chore that I've been given. I don't want to do something because it's required or obligatory or expected. I, I, want, I want other reasons to drive me. And, and the thing about the word duty is it's really a modifying word. Husbands and wives, do you know that you have a duty to love each other? Do you, do you realize that? Here's, here's what I mean. And, and guys, you can kind of walk through this with me a little bit right now. Um, I don't know if you've ever looked in the mirror and had a horrible thought like, man, she is so lucky. <laughs> or, or maybe your wife it works at the home or, at, or maybe she works part-time out of the home or maybe she gets to have wonderful dinners with your friends and, and you... And you think, I am such a good provider. She is so blessed to have me. Right? <laughs> and we're laughing because if you thought it, never say it out loud. You see, <laughs> because if, if you think you're good looks and skin, do y'all know that skin wrinkles, amen? Now, we live in the South, so humidity gives us an extra decade before the wrinkles hit. But... But your, your beauty fades, gentlemen and ladies. Your bank account fluctuates through the seasons. And, and if you think it's what you have to offer and they're, they're compelled by X, Y, Z to get, you, you should be thanking them that they have a duty, that they have a requirement, an obligation they have made to you as a spouse. Because one day, here's the reality, you will not look as pretty on the outside as you did the day that they said yes. Amen? It's a true statement. There's some days when, catch this, you might not be as sweet as you were when you were wooing her to you, right? When you were wooing her it's like, oh, you stepped on my foot. I'm so, so, oh, it's okay. It felt like grace on my leg. Right? 20 years in, it's like, are you kidding me? You stepped, I could have lost four toes. You see, the word duty has a deeper meaning. Here's some other definitions. It's the respect or obedient contact, uh, conduct due someone. It's, it means an act or expression of respect. A husband or wife has a duty to be faithful to their wife, regardless of what their desires tell them. A soldier has a duty to carry out the mission of the army, regardless of how they're feeling in that moment. An activist feels a duty that carries them to starvation or whatnot. A coward feels a duty to self-preservation. Are you, are you tracking with me here on this a little bit? I, I know we don't like the word duty, but I really feel like it's a rebranded word. Like so many words are rebranded today. That today, as we look at Tabitha's life, as we look at Luke's wording and as what he records, that we're going to find out that it's the dutiful servant that we are called to be. 
Because we live in a world that wants to be the, the well-liked servant. We wouldn't use the word famous because we know that that's a bad terminology in Christendom. But, but what we would like to be is we would just like to do what God asked us to do and him put lots of people in our life to affirm us. Amen? I mean, wouldn't we love that? Like, God, I don't want any recognition, but if you'll send 87 people one at a time my way in a humble way, I'm in. But I don't want to be famous, right? I don't need to be up on the screen. You know, I, I just want blah, 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 blah. I, I want to walk you into something today that maybe you've wrestled with, maybe you've never walked into, but I believe wholeheartedly that it will redefine or at least challenge us to redefine the way we have been living for Jesus Christ. And in Luke's words, I want to go back to something Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 7 through 10. So you can turn there, stay in Acts 9, Luke through the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. They're, they're, they're both from him, so the continuity here matters. Listen to what Jesus speaking to his disciples say. Now this is key, because he's speaking to his apostles, to his disciples. Verse 7, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Now, let me just stop some bad theology here. I remember having uh, breakfast at a Denny's with an Amway consultant trying to get me in, and he used passages like this to show that the disciples had servants and lots of money, so preachers should be rich. Okay, that's from the pit of hell. I'm just telling you. Jesus is using an example. This is not about you should be rich so that you can live out the parable. Verse 8. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I drink and afterwards you'll eat? Does he thank the servant when he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you've done all you're commanded to do, this is what you should say to the Lord. We are unworthy servants. We are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our, oh golly, it's in the Bible. We've only done what is our duty. Like, wait a second. There are so many other good verses we could preach on, Pastor. So, so let me give you the story again. Jesus is teaching his disciples about what it is to live in the shadow of the Lord and Savior. And he says, who of you, if you had a servant when he came in the, from the field, would let him just recline at the table like chores are done, feed up. I still stink, but I've done my stuff. You're welcome. Who, who would ever find that environment? He says, that's not what we would do. When the servant comes in, he should wash his hands. He should clean up. She should get to work. He's not even saying that there's a thanks. There's not a thanks that's due to the servant. It doesn't mean a, uh, someone can't be thankful. It's not meaning that we shouldn't show appreciation. But the point here is that a servant who's done what they're commanded is not due a thank you from the master. It's not owed to them. So instead, the servant, instead of saying, are you kidding me? I am unappreciated at work. That would never be said in our cultural context, amen? Like, I'm finding a new job. <laughs> I have nowhere to go and nothing to do, but I'm just not appreciated like I would like to be. The Lord says, 
If that's the attitude you're taking in, then you've missed the point. If you're a Christ follower, follow this. What should come out of his or her lips are, I am an unfaithful servant, or unworthy, excuse me, unworthy servant. We just done what was our duty. You see, here's what the servant in the story understands. That there is provision going on in their life. They understand that they are in the presence of someone important. Biblically, we'll just we'll go straight to it. Here, here's what the Lord says. Do you understand that you are a part of the kingdom? Do you understand that while we are serving the Lord on this earth, and listen, I believe there's gonna be serving and, and work and good stuff in heaven. Heaven is not sit on a cloud and play a harp and eat bonbons. Hopefully there's bonbons. But you follow me? So, so what the Lord Jesus says is, if you want to follow me, disciple, your attitude needs to be that you're not worthy for the joy and the life that I'm providing for you. You're, you're not worthy on that. It's because of who I am. It's because of what I've offered you and the respect now you live for me with. And so all of a sudden we understand why Paul wrote, I, under, I know the secret of having much or little. Whatever's going on around me, whatever treats the Heavenly Father gives me, it doesn't matter. I can do all things because of Him who strengthens me, because it's about Him. I'm just an unworthy servant that's been invited to participate in the most incredible thing that history has ever, will ever see. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, what I started to wonder was this. Do we believe that following Christ, that the way we are to follow Christ is based on us or him. Now, now check, check this, and, and, and here's how I'm framing it. I want my wife to love me because of, because of her heart and the way that she, she just thinks I'm gorgeous. I want her to be thinking I'm brilliant. We're gonna have a, I can go through this for a long time. You know, I just want it all to be birthed in her, never feeling like it's an obligation or a duty because I'm so amazing, right? I know, wives, you're all trying to keep a straight face because you know there are moments like that in our life where we are so admiring one another that it, it doesn't feel difficult. That's okay, it shouldn't feel, but it's still a duty because there are days when I'm not that person and the, the duty because of God's bringing us together, that respect is still owed. Well, if we understand that in a worldly sense, how much more so as disciples of Jesus Christ? If you're wondering today, why, why do I gather with other believers to worship? The positive is because the Lord has given me an opportunity to gather with others because the Lord fills my soul. But the reality is, if you come in with a sour attitude, hate every song, don't appreciate the passage, you know what the Lord's saying? Hey, you've got a duty. Who are you following? Are you following me based on your preference? Or are you following me based on my person? I mean, we teach 
commitment through sports. I mean, I could never. We have a duty to our team. And I make sure my kids at church at least twice every three months because I don't have a duty to God. He just would like for me to follow him. Come on now. Are you following me, church? We understand duty, but Christ has called us to be a dutiful disciple, understanding that the riches and the joy of the person of Jesus Christ, the power and the presence and the reward that comes with following the Almighty, they are worth more than our feelings, our thoughts, our wants, our plans, our positions, because we don't follow him because we have figured it out or because he is lucky to have someone like me. We follow him because we owe him. We have an obligation to the one who has brought us from death to life. We have a respect for the king whom every good and perfect gift comes from. You see, all of a sudden, we begin to understand that if you claim Christ as a Christ follower, then following after him is your duty. And God doesn't want your vote or debate on the subject. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Let's look to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Let's read about a lady named Tabitha. The Bible says this in verse 36 of chapter 9. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was so near to Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And, and when he arrived, took him to the upper room. And all the window, widows stood beside him. They were weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made when she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, he gave her his hand. He raised her up, called in the saints and the widows, and presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa many days with one Simon, a tanner. Tabitha. Dorcas I don't know how old she is I think in every child story I've ever seen every lifeway material I've ever looked at she was an old lady there's nothing in scripture that tells us how old she was she she could have very well been a 20 year old as she could have been a 60 year old we have no details about her family and who was around her or how she stayed or, or what she did to earn a living. We, we don't know how many Bible studies she taught. We don't know what her church attendance was. If she had the 1990s Baptist pen for, for perfect attendance in Sunday school, we don't know. We, we don't know what her, her life was like. We know that she was not perfect because no man or woman is perfect. That's why Jesus died. But we don't know what her faults or failings were. We really don't even know what she died of. Now, I want you to know 
the Spirit inspired the Word of God to be written. It is, it is uh, God-breathed. God did not waste a word. So why would he include this group of stories about this one lady named Tabitha give no background, only that she died, has one verse about her life, and that she was raised again and it caused people to believe. That's, that's it. Why would he do that? Either Luke was looking for filler to transition, right, from, from Peter to Paul as we carry the gospel out, or, or the story has potency. And I, as I look at it, the story has potency for many reasons. One, this is the record of a woman's story and how God-changing a woman's life called people to believe in him in a mighty way. God's saying, I can use anybody's story. I don't care what culture says if they're obedient and dutiful as a disciple to me. But I want you to look at what her life was like because it should inspire and challenge us. You see, the Bible starts off in verse 36, says, there was in Jaffa a disciple named Tabitha. The word disciple, it, it doesn't carry the same weight today that it did in the, in the early church, tens of years after the passing of Christ, not hundreds of years and thousands of years. And to be a disciple of Jesus Christ meant that everywhere you went throughout town, you were, you were tied to your teacher. So when you went to the marketplace, you were recognized as a disciple of Jesus Christ. When people asked you what you did, you were a disciple of Jesus Christ. What you ate, where you went, it was all the speech that came out. It would be very similar to saying, you know, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm a truck driver. You know, oh, well, with a truck driver, here's what I think. I have some great friends of truck drivers, right? Here's what I think about. Long trips on the road. You love talking into the CB. Is that still a thing? You know, all these kind of things run into it we have these ideas i'm a mother we know what a mother is all these assumptions come when we say i'm a mother for her to be a disciple of jesus christ there was a, an assumption that she was going to live accordingly to the one whom she was a disciple of in everything and at every moment that she was able to do as a follower as a learner and so the Bible says here is someone who was a learner, a follower of Christ and all that they said no one was surprised that she went to church amen so she was a disciple and then it says this she was full of good works and acts of charity that's all we know the, the word full just means complete all the way to the top so the, the Bible is saying, listen to her life. This is all that was said. She was full of good works. When I thought about the word good here, I went back to Luke chapter 18. Jesus was approached. He said, Master, Rabbi, I know that you are a good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember what Jesus said if you've read that passage? Why do you call me what? Good. Why do you call me good? He says, you need to understand, no one is good 
except for God alone. Now this is Luke recording this passage, pointing to the fact that if you are saying good, then it is tied as a disciple of Jesus Christ to God. If it is not of the Lord, if it is not from him, for him, and through him, it is not good. That's why we like singing songs about being okay. Because God is good. And so here we see that this woman, Tabitha, in this one passage of Scripture, as a disciple, is full of good works. Tied to God were her actions. Well, it sounds like it would preach, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? For you are created... Because you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. The works that come from the Father, the actions that come from the Father, the life that comes from the Father, to, to speak the things of the Father, to say the things of the Father. And he says, listen, they were prepared for you. He got it all ready so that you might live in them. It's not good works to earn your salvation. It's not good works to please the Father. It's good works because as a learner, as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, by definition, everything about us understands that he made us for a purpose that is tied to him and from him and for him. And this Tabitha, all we know about this young woman, whatever her age, is that she, as a disciple, was living for what she was created to do. Man, what was she created to do? It says, everybody showed her what she did. How did she change the world? She knitted, she sewed, she made blankets. Wait a second. That's not a world changer today. To be a world changer today, you need to put out a Bible study. You need to have a podcast. You need to be eloquent at speaking. You need to have lots of energy. Isn't it funny that God leaves all of those descriptions out of Tabitha's life? Maybe because the world has talked about fame to get rid of duty and Tabitha is just saying in, in her life and expressing, I'm going to live for what God made me. So I'm going to be filled with the works that he has prepared and planned for me to do. And that is all. All of a sudden, do you see jealousy fade away, envy fade away? All of a sudden, do you see the bitterness that defines this world fading away? I'm just going to be filled with what is tied to God and what he's made me to do. It's a kingdom focus, this walk of the world. What would it look like, church, if you and I were to own this reality in ourselves? To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means I just want to know what he is sending my way, and I want to be active in that way. That's it. So, so if you can decorate, you don't have to teach. Just decorate for the glory of God. If you, if you just greet well, if you're just loving to everyone down the macaroni and pasta aisle in, in Kroger, be filled with the good works that tie to God. 
You shouldn't walk down the aisle and people not know you're tied to Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying walking down the liquor aisle and throwing it all that. That's tied to crazy. But you should sow the good works of God. You should, you should show the encouragement that he made you for, the love that he made you for. I mean, think on yourself. You are God's workmanship. Don't hide his workmanship because you don't think it's worth something because that is a knock on the creator. So she is full of good works and of charity. I've had the joy of reading a lot of Jim Elliott uh, this week, just a missionary that was killed in his 20s. And he, and he said something in one of his journals that's powerful and, and just been on my mind all week. And he said, no one is a fool who gives what he cannot keep to earn or excuse me, to keep what he cannot lose. You are not a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. She's filled with charity. How could she give away anything? How could she give away everything? How should she give her time to this? How, how is she not planning for X, Y, or Z or putting her hands on her future because she understood charity? She understood the words of Christ. Luke recorded them, chapter 14 of the book of Luke. When you throw a banquet, don't invite people that can pay you back. Invite people that could never pay you back. It's charity when our good works are spilled out onto any and everyone without thought, intent, or desire to ever get an investment back. Do me a favor. If you can, just clench your fist for a, minute, for a moment. All right? Do you feel your muscles at all? I'm not, we're not comparing. Omar's not up on stage. We're, we're here. Right? That strength was given to you to do good works of God and to be given away for charity in his will. Now, do me a favor. I don't know how many hands you're shaking today and it's COVID, but touch your lips and you can, you can get close. You don't have to do it for real. Now, what would it look like if everything that came out of your mouth was tied to the idea that God created your lips to carry out his words that were tied to him and him alone regardless of to whom they were to, whether an enemy or a friend, the poor or the rich? No, I'm Baptist, so you got to go there. Put your hand on your wallet. Mm. Do you know there's not a single thing in there that was meant for your glory? It's an opportunity to be filled with good works, to do the will of God to whomever it would be, even if nothing ever goes back in. This is Tabitha's life. This is all we know is that here was a woman whom the Lord records just filled everything up in her life that she could with the works that were prepared from her by her Lord and Savior before she was ever committed to him.
challenge to us is how will that reflect in your life? She was a nobody, not rich, most likely. Don't, don't let mourners fool you. You had to have a mourner back in that day, whether you were rich or poor. You need someone. But the Bible tells us the impact of a life that is a dutiful disciple filled with the works that are tied to God and not to self with a heart that gives without a desire to receive it said when she died they heard that Peter was close and they sent to get him I'm not telling you that I believe that they thought they, that God would use Peter to raise him back to life quite honestly I think there's a more realistic explanation that day that this woman had blessed them by the spirit of the living God. And they wanted the person that they thought most important, closest to Jesus Christ, to have the honor of meeting a nobody. That's a sweet reward. How much better is that than the acclaim that we would seek or the memories that I would make? Peter came back that day and he dismissed everyone from the room. And the Lord breathed life back into Tabitha. What happens next? Thing scripture would just point to that she continued to be full of the good works that are tied to the one who has saved her life temporally and eternally. This morning, are you a dutiful disciple? If that's on your heart, it's bucking the trend. Because I've got a lot of plans. I look around, a lot of people. I can compare it all the way out. But that's not what a dutiful disciple is. A dutiful disciple is one who because of the person, the power of the Lord, has said, I will fill my life with what comes from the one I am made for. And I will work in his stead. In his, in his path. So this morning, my invitation is twofold. One, to life. The Lord is inviting you into his family, into the kingdom. You cannot earn your way in and you can't clean your life up before you come in. Instead, you have to to walk in the good works that God has sent you. What is the good works? Repent and believe. Confess and speak. Let go of your life and find it in Jesus Christ. But if you're sitting in this room or if you're watching at home, be honest with the Lord, not with me. Have you understood that your life, saved by Jesus Christ, is 
not your own. It's bought with a price. And the good works that God has prepared for you is greater than the good things you can think of to do in your lane. If you have been trying to please God and also trying to do all of these things this morning, let go of that junk. Because the joy, the sweetness, the reward of, of your Savior is worth more than all the blessings you want for your children, for your spouse, and for yourself. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. Lord, this morning, Lord, we, we are reminded of stories that people who changed lives around them and maybe never knew it this side of eternity. Father, we confess we live in a world that's taken hold of Christian words and worldliness has, has tempered our view of Christ and self and purpose. Lord, in this moment, let us embrace Lord, we're not worthy for the joy. We're not worthy for the goodness you have given us. We're not worthy of the plans you have for us. We're not worthy, God, of the grace you show us. We are not worthy, God. We are simply dutiful disciples. So, Lord, let your name be our battle cry. Let your spirit be our motivation that we might delight in every circumstance, whether much or little. In the name of Jesus, we pray.